cooperation. So uh, we need all the toes and all the, all the fingers, all the livers and gallbladders and everything else in the Lord in, in action. And uh, all, all those body parts are called to pray, amen? All of them, even the little toe. So uh, we want to be bathing that in prayer. And uh, then a couple weeks after um, that Sunday, April 1st, we're going to have a water baptism after third service. And uh, if, if he's your Lord and Savior, you haven't been water baptized, he's called you to that. And I'd encourage you out of obedience to do so. Yeah, it's not a, a matter of salvation. We, we were saved when we called on the Lord and the Holy Spirit spiritually baptized us in the body of Christ. But then he says, go and you know what? Be water baptized. Have that proclamation of your faith. And so uh, I'd encourage you, if you haven't, to, to uh, you know what, on April 15th to get that taken care of and, and do it to the glory of the Lord. There's a sign up in the foyer for that and a brochure on that. And there's other things in the bulletin. Uh, take a look at those if you haven't yet. And uh, let's get into the Word of God here tonight. We come here to, uh, to chapter 12, and, and we were going to get to this last week, and, and we just... We didn't make it, and uh, that's okay because this is a rich chapter, and it's a short chapter, especially for Leviticus. I think our next two chapters, this one's what, about eight, eight verses, it's loaded. I think the next chapter is about uh, 50-some verses on, on leprosy, and then after that, we got about 40 verses on uh, basically mold and leprosy in a house. And uh, we'll probably talk about those next week. And there's, there's again, incredible pictures of, of God's goodness and all of that and, and things that we can glean from them. Uh, tonight, though, as I, as I looked this, I said, you know, let's just go for chapter 12 because I really don't want to move from dedicating children um, to, to leprosy in, in the same message. And uh, this thing's loaded with just gospel truth and there's pictures of Jesus <clears throat> throughout this chapter. So... We'll kind of take it in two parts. Let's read verses 1 through 5. And then there's about five, six points we want to look at in this. And then we'll, we'll then read the rest of the chapter and see some other really cool things. And see things that relate to us and um, absolutely paint pictures of our Lord. So here in verse 1 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, If a woman has conceived and born a child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh shall be of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. Now notice verse 2. He says here, if a woman has conceived and born a male child. And really, that verse in itself, or you take that part of the verse, if you're, if you're familiar with, again, the gospel, and, and when I say that, not just the gospel painted there in, in John or in the gospels, uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life um, and but if we look at the totality of scripture and it's implied there in the gospel um, and and it's fulfilled in the gospels but right here listen this is the gospel as proclaimed the first time it's proclaimed in scripture back in the book of genesis and you know we talked about this often and it's important that we continue to and um, you know what that that we understand the full picture of, of man's sin and what that's done and the promise of Christ and the whole Old Testament looking forward to that. Jesus fulfilling, uh, you know, at the, the will of the Father and his death and resurrection and then us continually pointing back to the Lord Jesus and then pointing back to why the Lord Jesus came. And we go back there to the garden. And again, we know that, that man was created in God's image and likeness. He created a, a helpmate for him out of his side, and they had marital bliss, and they walked with total peace uh, with one another and, and with the Father. And uh, again, we know the account well. Uh, one command, you know, eat of any tree. Uh, it was really 
do what you want. And we got to remember they didn't have a sin nature at that point. So it wasn't like they were just, you know what, having these raging rebellious parties in the garden. They didn't have a sin nature. There was one command. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. And if you do, you're going to die. And uh, again, we know how the account goes. We know that Lucifer, Satan, had already fallen. Uh, We read about him in Isaiah and in the book of Ezekiel. This uh, beautiful angel that God created. It's really implied in those texts that he led worship in heaven. And yet, um, you know what? He was tempted with pride and he gave in to that. And instead of rejoicing in that place that God put him and giving glory to God, he aspired to exalt himself higher than the God who made him. That's always a bad mistake. That's always uh, very foolish to do. And so we know that absolutely uh, that move did not work out for him. And as he had a third of the angels follow him, they were, uh, you know what, uh, cast down, though they still had access and still have access to heaven today. And in fact, it says even tonight that the enemy stands accusing you before the Father and uh, pointing out all of our shortcomings and errors. But the good news is we have an advocate named Jesus Christ saying, they're covered by my blood. It's not good news tonight to know that. But he fell, and then he went after God's most prized creation, which is humanity. Uh, We're created in his image and likeness. Satan was not, and uh, the beasts of the field are not, uh, but we are. And so again, he went with that temptation. And remember, he began to question God's word. If you eat of that tree, are you going to die? And then uh, he comes with that next lie. God knows the day you eat of it, you eat of it, you won't die. You'll become like God. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of it. And woman looks at it. Uh, it says that she saw that it was uh, good for food and to make one wise. And then notice she was led by her flesh instead of being led by the word of truth. This can satisfy my flesh. This can satisfy, you know what, my intellect and, and so forth. Again, it was a lie. Uh, she ate of that tree, gave to her husband, and he ate. And we know that death set in. And um, what a horrible thing. In this text, in a minute here, we're going to talk about the curse that came with that. That woman then was, um, you know what, put under a curse. And he talks about how in, in childbirth, there's going to be extreme pain. And I know there's several moms here tonight that can, to att- can attest to the fulfillment of that scripture, right? Uh, extreme pain. And then he told the man, you're going to earn the keep by the sweat of your brow. There's going to be thorn and thistle. And women had been made to, to, to bear children, and they had also been created to work, uh, but not in that painful sense, and not by the sweat of your brow, and not crawling through life. But sin brought that, and sin brought that curse again upon mankind, and we know death set in physically, and as we talked about in communion, listen, sin separated us from a holy God, and um, you know what, boy, you talk about a a bleak, bleak future, death has set in over mankind, I mean, think about Adam and Eve going from in that garden, fellowshipping with God, it's no wonder, you know what, we kind of give Adam a hard time, he went and hid himself, I think any one of us would have done the exact same thing. He saw, he saw so clear, I have fallen short. And then in his own effort to try to save himself, remember he tried to cover himself, and yet, listen, that didn't cover his sin. But God in his goodness called out for him. And, and God's act of party in our salvation. Listen, if God hadn't initiated uh, the gospel and fulfilled it, and if he hadn't sent his Holy Spirit to convict you and me of sin, righteousness, and judgment, uh, we have no hope in the matter. And so he began to cry out to Adam, and, you know, he deals with them. And then in verse 15, he gave them the, the gospel, the first mention of the gospel. And he's speaking to the serpent, and he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, and notice here, her seed. It says, he, which is her seed, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And we talked about this a lot of times, Adam Adam and Eve, they got it, they understood it. They understood that the woman was going to conceive and out of her seed, a Savior would come forth. And the Savior, just as Adam in his sin had brought forth death, this Savior would come 
and he would be the means to bring forth life. This is why when Cain's born, she says, look, I've, I've given birth to a male child. And they had their hopes up. They were thinking, okay, man, one generation and the Savior is going to come. The Savior has been born. Well, you talk about great disappointment, you know, going from thinking your kid's the Messiah to knowing he's Cain, the first murderer in Scripture and so forth. And, and God was very gracious to Cain, too, not wanting him to perish and giving him opportunity to repent after, you know, at that grave sin of even killing his brother. But listen, they got it. They understood it. They understood the Savior was going to come, and the Savior was going to come through the seed of woman. And with each generation and each dispensation, there was more understanding of this. There was a greater picture being painted. But one thing they got, one thing they understood was God told us to be fruitful and multiply. And part of that reason is because he wants to bring forth the Savior. And if we quit having kids, that Savior is not going to come forth. And this gives us understanding to why some of these patriarchs in the scripture took on multiple wives. Now, they were never instructed to do that. God never ordained that. It was to be the way it was implied in the beginning or put forth in the beginning. One man and one woman and holy matrimony, the two shall become one flesh. But, you know, sometimes in our foolishness, we think we have to help God out, right? And so they were thinking we need to help God out. We need to have multiple wives so we can have more children because it's going to be through the seed of woman that that Savior is going to come. And it shows how gracious and good God, you know what, is in that, you know what, despite their shortcomings and their faithlessness in that area, he was faithful to them to even honor their faith above their shortcomings and their failures. And indeed, they were saved the same way we are by grace through faith in, in the coming Messiah. And isn't it amazing how even in our faith and wanting to walk in what God has called us to, we can sin even in that effort. Have you ever considered that? I mean, in our effort to spread the gospel, have you ever gone out to spread the gospel then ended up really getting into a big argument with someone and misrepresenting the Lord? Am I the only one? No one else here? And yet he's gracious to us, isn't he? And in, in you know what? an effort to, you know, want to raise our kids in the way of the Lord. Boy, we fall short sometimes in our parenting skills, don't we? Again, am I the only one? (laughs) And, uh, you know, really in everything, you know, I think even in our most um, uh, pure attempt, and I've I've talked about this because our our sin nature is so profound. Um, Boy, if if a magnifying glass was really brought to our efforts we just fall short at every turn and yet God in his goodness is gracious and uh, he is faithful to us and we can rejoice in the fact that again we're not saved by grace plus works otherwise we're all in trouble but by grace through faith and so they understood this they got this that through the seed of a woman and then listen as as again generations came and there were different dispensations uh they, they got a, a, a broader picture. We know with Abraham, it was after the flood, God set him aside. And here he is, Abram, it means father of many, and he's in his 70s, and he is the father of none. And he probably was the butt of a lot of jokes for that, uh, because names back then were of much more importance than our names today. I mean, a name really meant something. And it seems that he got that name, it had to have been by some inspiration given from God, and, uh, you know, and he stuck with it. And then his change na- names changed to Abraham. It means like father of multitudes, you know, ups it. And here's this guy, um, you know, he, he, he tries to fulfill God's promise again, trying to help God again with Hagar and, and not his wife and has a child, child of the flesh. And God tells him, listen, it's not going to be through this child that that Savior is going to come but in Genesis twenty two eighteen, he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. And so he was saying through the seed of faith, through Sarah, when she was 90 years old and her womb was dead, God would bring forth a miracle and he would bring life to that womb and she would conceive and she would have a miracle baby. And it's amazing as you follow that genealogy from Adam all the way down to, Mir- to Mary, there's miracle after miracle 
God intervening using old people and babies and people who were barren and people that were in this place of having to put all their faith and trust in the Lord because God wanted man to understand that God was the one ordaining this. That he gave that promise that through her seed, and he wanted them to know that he was going to be the active party in bringing this uh, about. And so, listen, more and more, you know, it, it, later on it would be through the tribe of Judah, then through specifically the house of David. And you follow down all those corridors of time through these generations and then finally we come to Matthew chapter 1, and there's this young girl named Mary, who is God-fearing, who by her own admission in the book of Luke is a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God, who needs a Savior herself. And I'll just read it, Matthew eight or one eighteen. now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, which means before they had sexual relations, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it would be through her seed. And we see, and we'll read here in a second, there was prophecies given that the Holy Spirit would overshadow a virgin. And we've talked about this often because the Messiah had to come without a sin nature. He had to come as a son of man. He had to come also as a son of God. It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public spectacle of her, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then notice verse 21, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Is Jesus your Lord tonight? Say amen. Then you're part of his people, and you've been saved from your sin through your Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And so even as we come here to Leviticus 12, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, this was part of that gospel, that God had called them to be fruitful, to multiply, that it was going to be through the woman or through a woman bearing a child that the Savior was going to come. And listen, they didn't know exactly how that was going to look like. We can look back now at all this stuff fulfilled, and it's easy for us to see how this would play out they didn't get it listen abraham himself thought that perhaps isaac again that miracle child was the messiah and he got this and he understood the savior was going to come through the seed of woman and he was going to die for the sins of man remember that's why he was willing to take him up to mount Morat, Morat, mount uh moriah there we go it's the burrito and and sacrifice him and some say, oh, he's going to sacrifice his child like the Aztecs or whatever did. No, remember he said, we're going to go up and we're going to come back. He knew that if God really would have him plunge that knife into his son, that God was going to resurrect him. They got this. They, they understood it. And then remember, the Lord told him to stop. I, I, I see your faith. And he says, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And he looks over, there's a ram caught in the thickets. And that was a picture again of Jesus Christ. And what a loving God. Again, he, 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 you know what? Instead of taking the son of a man, though he is the son of man, he was the son of Mary, he says, I'm going to send my own son. That's how much I love men. That's how much I love mankind. I want to demonstrate it. And that the Holy Spirit will overshadow this virgin and my son will come. And again, yes, he'll be the son of man, 100% human, but he's going to be the son of God, 100% God and he's going to lay down his life, live a sinless life, and lay down his life to take the wrath, do all of these sinners upon himself to make that way of salvation. And as, a, as sin came through that one man, Adam, salvation will come through that one man, Jesus Christ. This is why if you've ever read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, where it talks about the woman saved through childbearing. And if you ever read that, I've been kind of confused. I'll just read it. It says, 
Do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. Now, there's a lot of ignorance when it comes to a scripture like this. There are certain individuals full of pride that want to suppress women and exalt themselves to say, look, a woman's supposed to then go over being quiet in the corner and never say anything, and we're just going to trample all over them in Jesus' name. Um, What's going on here is God's reminding them of the order of things, that yes, the woman was deceived, and she really went out from the, uh, under the covering of God and the Father when she ate of that tree. Now, man willfully followed, Adam willfully followed, but when that disorder was, you know what, brought in, it brought forth sin. And so he's saying here in your home, have the order that God has put forth. And in the church, have the order that God has put forth, that men are supposed to lead, be elders and pastors. When it comes to silence, it's talking about a woman not teaching in the pulpit other men in the sense of being an elder or a pastor. Now, if you're a man and you don't think you can learn from women, that's not what this is saying here. You've been misinformed if that's the case. Um, Again, Adam needed a helpmate. And I don't think that was just someone to iron his shirts and run his errands. He needed some counsel. He needed a woman's perspective of things and so forth. She was made different than him, purposely. He didn't make another guy there. He made a woman purposely to compliment him. And they could compliment one another. Um, but again, the order would be man leading. We're going to get to this again in a minute. We're setting some things up. And, and woman following as they're both following the Lord. And again, man's call to lay down his life for his wife even as Christ laid down his life for the church. Also in this, though, again, it's easy to look at that verse in Timothy and, oh, the men has authority. But notice, the woman will be saved through childbearing, and that went back to that Old Testament promise, through the seed of woman. And so if you're a man, then you, you think lightly of women, you're very foolish in that. And I know some guys that do. I've had to deal with some even in the last few months. They think women are just doormats, and they can, you know what, enforce their will on it, and they twist scripture and take it out of context. Look at the great honor given to the woman here, that God says, said, and he did use a woman to bring forth the Savior of the world, and I think that's pretty awesome, and I think that brings a lot of perspective that we need that, listen, men and women are both created in the image and likeness of God. They have different roles, and they're equally important when it comes to the roles here on earth. Let's just make sure we know our roles and we walk in them, amen? And that we receive them and we rejoice in them. So again, this was a reminder of the gospel. If a woman has conceived and born a child, and then he says, then she shall be unclean seven days, as the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And so if it's a male child, She's unclean for seven days. If it was a female child, she would be unclean for 14 days. And we'll talk more about that here in a second. Because some people say, hey, that's not fair. Does this mean women are dirtier than men? You know, what's going on here? Has nothing to do with that. First of all, we got to understand that this was a practical command. Because uh, if you've ever been around childbirth... There, there, there's, there's a lot of bodily discharge there. There's a lot of fluids. There's a lot of blood. There's uh, a continuation of that, oftentimes for days after. You know what? There's a, uh, uh, you know what, a, a lot that, that, that comes out with the child. And remember, a lot of these laws, most of these laws were given with microbiology in mind and keeping that camp healthy and so forth. Uh, I saw a thing... Uh, recently, it was, it was uh, on, um, you know, at sewage in times past. And even in the Americas, this, this was up till, man, about 300 years ago. Uh, and, and maybe even some time past that, where individuals, they would take their waste and they would basically take it up with a bucket and they would just pour it out the window. And these cities of, of, of hundreds and thousands of people just had pure sewage running through the streets 
where everywhere you went, you walked in this stuff. And then some cities to try to, you know what, deal with it, um, and I don't think they really understood how unhealthy it was. I, I, I think the smell alone, though, would prompt you to say, maybe we should bury this. You think that, that, that was, I think God's trying to tell us something here. But they would, they would take, uh, a lot of them would end up building platforms to get them up over the sewage, you know? Um, so it wasn't all over themselves. That's how ignorant man is with these things. Uh, and again, that was up to a very a recent time in history. I don't want to get ahead of us in, in Leviticus and the law here, but God told the Israelites, basically, when you have to go to the bathroom, take a shovel with you and go dig a hole and bury it. And that's actually good for the earth, is it not? We saw that last week with seeds that if, you know what, they get touched by human discharge, the seed's okay because that's something that's a type of manure that can grow the seed. Everything else needs to be washed or thrown out. Um, So in this, again, God brought this time of purification to keep them from having, again, uh, disease spread through, through the spilling of blood and so forth. He wanted them to have cleanliness. And this isn't just because, you know, the Lord's uptight and, you know what, growing up when I was a kid, you might be drinking your glass and if you, you put it down for a little bit, you came back and it'd be gone because my mom would grab it and go clean it before you even done drinking in it. It wasn't him like being an overly the top neat freak. This was him looking out for them. So this separation would keep the, again, the, 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 the body fluids in a, in a contained place from the contamination of the camp. And again, we also need to understand this isn't God declaring sexual relations or childbirth as a bad or dirty thing. And some may be tempted to look at this as that, but it's not. I mean, God's the one that made male and female, and God's the one that set forth the course of relations and, and procreation and everything else. And the marriage bed is undefiled. It is a it is a beautiful thing on the side of the Lord, though he says adulterers and fornicators will be judged. So that's something that we want to turn from. Now, we also need to know, again, seven days for the male, it would be 14 days for the female. And then notice on top of that, there would be 33 days of additional uh, separation of purification for the male. And then for the female... It would be for 66 days. Um, we'll come back to that here in a second. I'm get ahead of myself a little bit. I want to, I guess, right now, stick to the male a little bit. But one thing we do need to know with both of those things, it would give time for the, the mother to rest. And some people, oh, why were they, you know, why did they have to be set apart for 33 days or 66 days? The mom was probably going, oh, praise God for those 33 days. I really hope it's a girl. I get 66 days. Can you imagine running around with 10 kids or whatever? They'd be like, oh, oh, oh I, what if I have female twins? Do I get 66 days each? So you probably have a good point to argue it. But then notice as well with the male, and we'll, we'll come back to that whole why, why the female 66 days, the male 33 days. But notice as well with the male, he was called to be circumcised. And he's called to be circumcised on the eighth day. And this has to do with the covenant, again, going back to Abraham, that, that God made with Abraham. Um, when he called Abraham out of the Ur, the Chaldeans, and he said, I want to make you a father of many nations, that through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And he says, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. He was calling him to, again, give birth to the nation of Israel that would be set aside that the Messiah would come forth from. And a sign of that covenant that Abraham made with God, the outward sign of it was the males being circumcised. Genesis 17, 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you through their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child, you shall, uh, you shall every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a sign of a covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner 
who is not your descendant, he was born in your house, uh, and he was bought with money, must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, one thing we got to understand is that it wasn't the actual circumcision that saved them. And this is where there needed to be a lot of of, of understanding and teaching and education when the Messiah came because the Jews were so embedded in these laws and walking in them, which on one hand was a good thing, but they were, they were so embedded in them, they didn't understand that these things were called to be a sign of their faith and their faith in Christ or in the Messiah would save them. But instead they began to think, if we do these things, we're saved. And it wasn't when Abraham circumcised himself uh, that he was right with God, but instead it's when he believed God in the first place. And then the circumcision came afterwards as a sign that he actually believed God. It was, again, done uh, to, to acknowledge his faith because God had called him to do that. And it was also the fruit of his faith, of his obedience. But this is talked about continually in the New Testament to get us to understand we're not saved by our works, we're saved by grace through faith. In fact, in Genesis 15, 4, which notice here's few chapters before verse 17, behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. And he was talking about Ishmael when Abraham was trying to help God out in his flesh. He says, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. And this would be the child born out of faith when God would do a miracle in Sarah's womb at 90 years old and she would conceive. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And remember, they didn't have smog and city lights, so good luck with numbering all those stars, Abraham. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then notice verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. And because he believed in the Lord, when he entered into that covenant of circumcision, it wasn't his works that saved him, but that was absolutely the fruit of his faith. It showed that he actually believed. Notice Romans 4.1, and this is talked about many times in the New Testament, so it's worthy to spend a few minutes on. He says, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Abraham didn't boast in his circumcision. It wasn't, yeah, I circumcised myself, and that's what saved me. What an odd way to even find salvation. Uh, You know? But it says it wasn't in his works, and later in the chapter it gets specifically in to a circumcision. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are counted. Uh, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So in other words, we're saved by grace through faith. Abraham believed the Savior was coming, and that's what saved him. And then the fact that he believed was the reason why he was willing to circumcise himself. It was evidence that he believed. But he was saved through faith. But listen, if one wants to say I'm saved through faith plus works, works is not going to bring forth grace. It's going to bring forth debt. And it's debt that Jesus came to pay. It's debt that we can't pay. Because if you want to try to work your way to heaven, all you're going to do is compile more bills. If you think you're going to work off your debt, you're going to work off your sin, all you're going to do is compile more debt. Because any law you put forth, you're going to break it one way or another. The law shows us that we are sinners. So again, this would be a reminder to them, circumcision of this covenant that we have with God, but circumcision itself didn't save these people. It wasn't, oh, we circumcised our son on the eighth day, so he's saved. Again, that was a reminder of that covenant They needed to come to a place of belief, a place of faith. Now in Christ, we're called the circumcision as well. Not the physical form, but the circumcision of the heart. Colossians 2.11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And the baptism spoken of here is not water baptism. It's that baptism with the Holy Spirit when we are baptized into the body of Christ. And then that's even different than the empowerment of the Spirit of God. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and having taken it out of the way, he nailed it to the cross. Isn't that awesome? Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So the Lord Jesus Christ, again, he made a way of salvation. He wiped out the handwriting, and the handwriting said, you got to do all this stuff. you got to keep the law perfectly to be saved. And we can. And if we try to, we're just going to accumulate more debt. But he lived a sinless life. And in that, listen, the law was even nailed on the cross that when we put faith in him and we believe, now we're under grace and there's a circumcision of our heart. What a glorious thing. One other note on the circumcision. This was also for health reasons as well. This had to do with issues of cleanliness and so forth. And I'm not going to get into all the details of that. Listen, you can take care of that on your own. But one thing we do got to remember is, um, you know, when it, when it comes to issues of hygiene, as we've already talked about, you know, waste thrown in the streets, even, you know, in recent history, we're a lot more educated about those things today. And today we have a lot, we, we are very blessed in the West to have access to, to a lot better hygiene that they didn't have back then. So even practically for a male, uh, this would be far more healthy for them. Then also notice the circumcision would come on day eight. And if you ever wonder why day eight, why did Paul boast that he was circumcised on the eighth day? Well, again, you talk about God, the great physician. On the eighth day of, uh, of anybody's life, it is the day that they will heal faster than any other day in the history of their life. The vitamin K level is at the ultimate highest on day eight. And that is a scientific and a medical fact to the umph degree. Boy, I think God knows something, don't you? One last thing here. And then we'll read these last verses and go through them. Again, the females, their purification was 66 days. So it was mom and baby for 66 days. Her just saying, oh, Lord, thank you that you gave me a female. I get two months off. Always having y'all look at them out there taking care of all those kids. For the male, it was 33 days. I think God's looking out for mom here, right? Um, but why the difference? These are just some thoughts. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why, but these are some thoughts that I have that, that I think have some, some biblical validity to them. Um, for the most part, listen, the female... Uh, especially in that day and age when if you want to eat, you're going to go out and you're going to kill it or you're going to grow it. Um, the female generally would spend a lot more time at home with the mom running the household. That would be the role. And so I believe that it gave even more time for that baby, that female baby, to bond with mom all alone. They were going to spend a lot of time together to the glory of God Almighty Again, walking in that call that the Lord had placed upon them. You look at the, the, the fall of man. Again, woman would be cursed with childbirth. And then man would be cursed by, again, the sweat of his brow. And, and you see male and female called out in this. So if you've got an issue with that, take it up with the Lord. I think this was a conditioning thing for the male. Listen, you're going to go out and you're going to have to deal with thorn and thistle. You're going to have to earn your keep in God's order. The man was supposed to, again, have children after wedlock and raise those children and take care of that family and be the head of the household. You're going to have to go out and earn by, you know what, the sweat of your brow. So yeah, 33 days have gone and little baby, you'd like to be there for 66 days, right? But we're going to start conditioning you for the call upon your life. You're going into the, to the ring now with the other 10 kids. And you're going to get tossed around like a football a little bit. Uh, 
33 days earlier than your sister. That's just one thought. To condition him, to prepare him, to start readying him to, again, uh, to, to, to go out and labor in that manner. One thought on this, sadly, today, I think women today are, are oppressed, perhaps, as much as any time in the history of the world. Um, you know, we have countries around the world that, I, I, I mean, women can look out of a slit, you know, and, and, and everything's covered, and they can't do anything. Saudi Arabia is celebrating, women, get a drive now, you know? And you see all of these ignorant feminists who don't understand the glorious role of a woman that God has given to them, uh, really pushing for women to try to take the role of the man. And so what are they doing? They're trying to push the woman, and, and I'm not in any way denouncing that a woman can work and, and have employment and so forth, so don't get me wrong. But sadly, what you see happening today is that women are taking on both aspects of that curse, burying the children and then raising them by the sweat of their brow, going out and bringing the breadwinner in the home. Well, so many men impregnate women and leave. I think in the inner city, it's about 72%. And you wonder why there's an epidemic in our inner cities. We'll deal with some facts, some truths. Get married, then father your children and watch any culture radically change. I'll say that to anybody's face. That's the truth of the matter. If you don't want to own up to that, then we're not dealing in truths. And it's, it's that, that, that aspect, that percentage is, is just escalating uh, everywhere in America. And it's part of the great turmoil that we have. These women raising their children without the male uh, about while he's off doing his own thing. And sadly, even in many homes where there is marriage, the man spends all night playing video games in the basement and living for himself. And if that's you, you're a man here tonight, and you're married, and that's you, quit doing that. Everything's fine in moderation, but God has not called you to game for six to eight hours on end. Can any men here say amen? That's not being a man. God hasn't called you to that. You're not appointed to that. That's living for that carnal pleasure that we talked about in communion. Oh, Pastor Steve said we need to burn all our video games. He's legalistic. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God has something better for you. And you're going to find a whole lot more fulfillment and joy when you say, you know what, it's, it's time to just start looking at this in moderation and exercising some self-control. Watch your family benefit from that. Watch your children benefit from that. Watch your soul benefit from that. But these are truths that the Bible addresses that our culture uh, is, is just so ignorantly abandoning the ordinances of God. And I really think just in about everything, women bear the brunt of it. Start even thinking about the, the whole transgender thing. Think about, you know what, the whole thing. Women are the ones that are the victim in it. What, what men are going to be effective if, affected if some woman comes into the locker room? You're going to be affected by that. Put a man in the woman's locker room. A whole different story, isn't it? Think about sports. My girls play sports, competitive sports. You think that any woman is going to go and bump some boy off the football team? Steve, you're a male chauvinist. No, I'm dealing in truth. Men and women are different. It ain't going to happen. I wrestled for many years. I wrestled a girl once who was supposed to be good. And listen, I ripped her head off, basically. I did it gently. They're just made up differently. You got a Brazilian volleyball player right now, which is a man, six foot three, 200 some pounds that they say is going to be in the next Olympics. For the Brazilian team. There's some woman that should be on that team that's not on that team because of a man in a culture that is letting him run amok in his rebellion. Women are the victim of these things. My daughters are the victims, which I don't shop there anymore, but if I went to Target and some dude went into that restroom 
and address, you are not loving my daughters and allowing them to do that. So again, in this culture that's so backwards, women are being oppressed and victimized more than ever, and, and, and it's exploding in the West. So again, it fits the, the, the text, these things we're talking about. Now notice six through eight, and we gotta go a little faster here, because I went on a few rants. But I don't care, I don't apologize for them. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring the priest a lamb of the, of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and he shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or female. And if she's not able to bring a lamb, she may bring two turtle doves are two young pigeons, one is a burnt offering, the other is a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for her, and she'll be clean. Now, in Luke chapter 2, we see that after Jesus was born, again, that fulfillment of, of the, the seed of woman, the Holy Spirit overshadowing. We see in Luke 2, 22, it says, Now within days of her, or Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, or they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord to a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now notice Jesus was not baptized. Infant baptism is not biblical. It is not scriptural. There's many people in the world today, many Roman Catholics who say, oh, are you born again? And they'll say, yeah, when do you get born again? Well, when I was baptized as an infant. That's utter nonsense. Listen, baptism comes after you get saved. That's like saying, Abraham, when did you get saved? Oh, when I got circumcised. No, you got saved when you believed. <laughs> and if you want to believe you were saved when you were baptiz- baptized, that's not going to bring grace. It's going to bring debt. If you think your water baptism is your salvation, you're going to go to hell. Your salvation is when you put faith in Jesus Christ and him, and al- him alone to save you. Amen. Baptism came after the fact. And so Jesus was not baptized. There's not infants baptized in the scripture anywhere in it. If the Bible, and again, the Bible is our standard, he was dedicated though. He was brought to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord, to be holy to the Lord, to be set apart for the Lord. They brought an offering according to the scripture. We'll see. Again, they brought two turtle doves. They weren't rich, they were poor, but they brought what God had, again, provided for them to bring us that sacrifice to give thanks to God Almighty. Now, one note real quick with this dedication. This was what them, wasn't them just dedicating Jesus, um, you know, as saying, we want to dedicate him. Now we got the covering. We're going to go live however we want to live. And some people think that's what baby dedication is. And if people think that's what baby dedication is, guess what? I won't dedicate their baby. I'll pray for their baby. Baby dedication is saying, I'm making a public statement that I plan on raising this child in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm asking for all of you to pray for me in this child and I'm asking you to hold me accountable in doing it. That's what it is. And this idea that, oh, we want to dedicate the baby and then we're going to just go do whatever we want to do, that is not scriptural. Again, biblically, we're called to raise our children, you know, not to provoke them to wrath, Ephesians 6, 4, but to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We're we're gonna dedicate a baby probably Sunday in the third service. So if you come to first or second and you like baby dedications, I guess come to the third. And I know for a fact, those the folks that are dedicating their baby, it's not, again, well, we want this covering, we're gonna do it on. They're they're making a public declaration. We want to raise this child in the Lord. And we we want public uh, accountability, and we want all your prayers to raise this child. Because if you just make a dedication, then you go live as you will, that's lip service to God. That's what that is. And that's when these things just become a ritual and they become nonsense. But they were dedicating the Lord, again, according to the scripture, because they wanted to raise this child in the way of the Lord. And then lastly here, again, they, they, did, they didn't offer a lamb, but a couple uh, turtle doves because they were poor. And the Lord cho- chose to came in a humble manner. Listen, 
at any time, and in no way am I advocating playing it, but, you know, just for figure of speech, at any time, if the Lord wanted to, he could have won the lotto, right? And he chose not to. If he could take two fish and five loaves of bread and feed 5,000 plus the women and children, he could have multiplied his money, right? At any time, and he chose not to. He chose to be poor. He chose to be lowly. Why? Because he didn't want to get caught up in temporary things when he came to set forth an eternal kingdom. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, this is talking about him and glory, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. And praise God, is Jesus your Lord tonight? Can you say amen to that? Then you are the richest people on the face of the earth right here in this room, along with all the other brothers and sisters in this earth that have called upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because again, what's a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? There's nothing more valuable than your soul. And in Christ Jesus, you are covered by the blood of the Lamb and you have eternal life in the Lord Jesus. Well, Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We give you glory. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, God, that your scriptures speak to the issues of today. And I would hope and pray that we'd be a people that do not despise prophetic utterance, that do not despise the prophetic word of God, but walk in it, that have reverence for it, and by your grace and mercy, apply it to our lives, God. Again, you are good, and we thank you, Jesus, that you came and you made that way of salvation. And tonight, if you haven't called on his name, Again, the scripture declares whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that means something. It means you're calling on Jesus to be your Lord. And in the scriptures, when men do that, they are at a place of brokenness and humility and they are crying out. They are crying out with that acknowledgement of I need you, God. I need you, Lord. Jesus, I need forgiveness. I need salvation. I need you to govern my life. I'm putting my trust in you. I believe. I believe not just that you're a historical figure, I believe that you're a God and I entrust my life to you. And the Bible says whoever does that is going to be saved. Just again, as Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's the salvation message. When we believe and we trust, we are saved and it's accounted to us as righteousness. Bless the rest of our night, Lord. Just be with us right now in our fellowship and everyone on their way home. And we pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.